tonight I'd like to talk a little bit more about metta and imagine I'll speak maybe for about 20 minutes or so and then I'd like to open it up to hear a little bit from you and about your experiences today in regards to the topic. The practice of metta or loving-kindness has been a very important tool in my spiritual evolution. When the teachers first came back from the East, Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, who were my teachers in the, in the late 70s, they weren't teaching metta. And it was about four years or so after I began the practice that I was actually introduced to metta, that's how I recall it. And I remember feeling like the practice was quite dry, was quite uh, mechanical, like just paying attention to, the, to, one, to my experience, but almost with a, um, uh, it, was just, it was just dry. It didn't fe- feel like there was a, much juice to the practice. It didn't seem like it was really touching the heart. There wasn't seen, didn't seem to be this attention on the qualities of the heart and the opening of the heart. And after about four years, the teachers started teaching metta, I think through their own exposure to going back to the East and being with their teachers. And it seemed like the introduction of metta as an adjunct to the insight practice seemed to just open things up for people. It brought an element to the practice that was really missing. It's as if the actual awareness practice of insight is one half and the metta and the loving kindness and the qualities of the heart are the other half. And bringing them together the practice of insight with the uh, atmosphere of metta is a, it seemed to be a very beautiful flower. And as I began using metta in my daily practice, very wonderful things began to happen for me. I could see in myself through the insight practice, through the paying attention, how much judging and condemning and self-hatred there was towards myself and how much there was towards others, judging other people's behavior and and being quite self-righteous about what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing, and felt quite a lot of this tension and conflict in myself around this particular pattern. And when I would see this arise in my mind, I would then start doing the metta. 
and I would connect with that deeper wish for myself to be happy. And I would just be able to drop down into my heart and, and just sometimes actually put my hand on my heart and just, may I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free of this anger. May I be free of this judgment. And it was quite an, a, a useful antidote to drop down into that place of love and that place of kindness. And I would do that again and again and again each time I noticed the strength of that pattern of, of ill will and hatred both towards myself and others. And sometimes when I would really be angry with another person, I would do the same thing, just drop down and feel in my heart that wish for not only my own happiness, but for that other person's happiness as well. Reminding myself, yes, they want to be happy too. They want to be peaceful too. And just putting things into perspective again and again and again putting putting my deeper wish for myself foremost so that those powers of mind, those powers of negativity started to lose their soil. They started to lose that place that they could grow because the love started to counteract that, started to counteract those forces of negativity. So the metta became a very, very important tool. And last year, in September, I had the opportunity of doing a, a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie. And for six weeks of that three-month period, I did an intensive metta retreat, which involved from the minute I woke up in the morning to the minute I fell asleep at night, repeating the phrases that we repeated today. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe and protected. May I feel ease of well-being. And for the first five or six days, I just started with myself for, for well, I was only sleeping for five hours, so that was 19 hours. <laughs> 19 hours of repeating metaphrases. And then you go through, there's a series of moving from myself to what's called a benefactor. And that is somebody who, just at the thought of that person, they generate feelings of love and inspiration. And so in doing the practice, one has a benefactor so that when the feelings are difficult to generate, you can just think of this person that opens the heart. And so for five or six days, I sent metta to my benefactor. And then moving on to a little bit more difficult, which is the a person that I feel indifferent towards, that 
a stranger or somebody that I just see in passing, then I, I might not, I don't know at all, in this case, somebody on the retreat who I never had any contact with. And seeing if I could generate feelings of, of love and kindness for that person when there's no contact, no history, no knowledge of that person. And spending five or six days doing that and then moving on to the difficult person, somebody who there's conflict and tension and anger (laughs) towards, and then seeing if it's possible to open the heart to that person. Well, for me, then it started getting really juicy. (laughs) And I thought of about six people that I wanted to... (laughs) see if I could work with to send metta. And so I spent, I I went to my teacher who I was working with at that time, Joseph Goldstein, and I said, I don't, I don't want to move on just yet from this part. I said, it's, it's it's too interesting. (laughs) So can I do like more than just one difficult person? (laughs) And actually it felt like I did quite a lot of clearing over a few weeks of just staying with it, seeing if I could open my heart, open my heart where there were more barriers, where there was more tension, where it was more difficult, and going through the roller coaster of that that effort. So I found this quite, as you can imagine, quite an interesting practice. At first I wondered how I was actually going to keep these phrases going. Um, The most difficult was during the eating, (laughs) because it does sort of interfere with (laughs) actually enjoying the taste and the uh, sensual pleasure of the food when I'm trying to concentrate on these phrases. But that was really the only difficult time. (laughs) Something that was very interesting to me at the beginning, the first 10 days or so of the practice, when I was focusing primarily on myself, I think I was quite surprised at, at the level at which it was still difficult to open to myself. It seemed that by holding this wish for well-being for myself and that, that real, that, that beautiful wish, what it did was expose any leftover holdings that were there, any possible way that I still wasn't able to fully open to that love in myself. And I think on seeing this, at first it was quite disconcerting because I I thought that I had worked with this pattern quite a lot. And I thought, oh yeah, there's still these attachments, there's still these holdings, there's still these ways that I want to be other than I am. I want to even be able to feel more ease in myself. 
and and so this gap was exposed holding the potential wish for my happiness and my well-being and the truth of where I am and my sense of limitation and in fact it was really quite a revelation because I saw that's what the metta does it acts as a mirror it reflects back to us right where we are and and the work that needs to be done and it's such an amazing tool because if I'm practicing it and if I'm taking the practice to heart then I'm actually bringing loving kindness to that very place of limitation and so again and again in the doing of it I'm bringing the wholesome factor of loving to my experience and reinforcing the wholesome factor of loving and not reinforcing the unwholesome factor of fear and limitation. If I'm caught up in my habits of negativity and um, aversion and anger and self-hatred and believing in these patterns and not really actively bringing about some change, then I'm just reinforcing those patterns. These patterns are getting more solid and more solid. But by actually bringing about the intention, moment to moment, it can actually actually be a moment to moment intention to be more loving, then love takes hold. Fear, negativity, and darkness has no place in love. Love is like a light. It's like shining a light in a dark room. The darkness just is dispelled. The darkness disappears. The darkness has no place to live in the atmosphere of love. So this can be a very powerful practice, but I think it's also the essential foundation of the practice. Because what we're attempting to do here for ourselves in transformation is to destroy that which obscures our true nature anything which interferes and hinders our seeing the truth of ourselves has to be seen into because that true nature is shining it's there all the time but something clouds it over something hinders the seeing and with clear awareness and clear intention to understand we can begin to see what actually is obscuring our view 
what interferes with the view of our true nature, of our true essence. Because it's not like we become something that we're not. We just finally wake up to who we are and have been all the time. We wake up to the truth. And so the metta becomes quite a powerful tool in this. So when I was reflecting on this gap, this gap that gets exposed in the metta through holding the potential wish for myself and the truth of the limitation, I saw that the only thing that can bridge this gap, that can hold this together so that it doesn't become fragmented, is holding them both with love, holding both the potential wish for myself with love and my sense of limitation with love. And if love embraces both of them, then there's no gap. They're both just there. I have the potential wish for myself and I have the truth of who I am and nothing has to change. And right now, that's held in place and it's bridged in each moment. Any moment that that sense of limitation arises, and it may be different for each one of you, and it may change from, from hour to hour to hour, just to hold this, hold both the potential wish of what I wish for myself, what you wish for yourself, and the truth of what's happening together in love. So during this few-week period, the koan, the koan, the question kept coming to me, well then how do I hold myself with love? How do I actually do this in practice? If I'm, besides just doing the metta meditation, repeating the phrases, what else can I do while I'm doing the metta and I see myself not be loving to myself? What can I do? And I reflected on five different things that I could do that I wasn't doing as often as I could have been doing them <laughs> or would have been helpful to do them. <laughs> The first was to be patient, to bring that quality of patience to the process, that there is a process happening that is quite beyond my control, that's quite beyond my knowing, that there's an unfolding in process, and just to be patient. And in this patience, comes a gentleness and a softness. Just, okay, just relax, just breathe. It's just happening. Just that remembering to be patient 
with the process that's unfolding, which really points to this place of trust, the trusting in what's happening, trusting in some divine intervention, that something else is going on quite beyond my ability to understand and trusting in this, settling into this. And I don't, I don't have to know. I don't have to have it all figured out or understand it with my intellect. But again, dropping down, dropping down into trust and being patient with that. Another thing that I found helpful in working with the moments of not being loving was to be realistic. Just to, this, this was actually quite a big one. Just to be able to say, okay, this is, what, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. Right now, I'm not able to feel much ease with myself. Right now, I want to feel more accepting of myself, but I'm not. I am feeling agitated. I am feeling irritable. I am wanting my situation to be different. (laughs) And it's just coming down to reality, being realistic with what's going on, recognizing where I am, recognizing where you are, and saying, that's the truth. (laughs) That's the truth of things. And it's quite surprising what that can do. It's just a... Oh, just coming right down into the body, right down into this moment. Okay, this is where I am. Being realistic. For me, these standards of perfection, you know, the ways that I should be more perfect, become like clubs. You know, they become, they almost become dense. (laughs) Like I'm clubbing myself over the head. You know, why aren't you different? Why is, why can't you be more this or that? And it's it's almost like (laughs) hurts. You can feel the the clubbing happening. Mm -hmm. But it's just the our standards that we carry for ourselves, ways that we think we should be in the world rather than just saying, okay, this is how I am. This is where I am. And then there's no more room for clubbing. There's no more room for condemning or judging. The third one that I found helpful was being disciplined being disciplined, being actively engaged in bringing about change in myself. I found that I couldn't be lazy. I couldn't just rest in what was happening with this reoccurring uh, way that I wasn't feeling at ease with myself, but I actually had to be vigilant 
and not just give in to these patterns and not to just start wallowing in self-pity and feeling sorry for myself and why aren't things different, but actually had to actively engage in restraining these kinds of thought patterns. Because otherwise, the patterns just take hold. They find fertile ground, and they grow, and they grow bigger and bigger and get stronger. And so I found that this discipline was really quite important in not allowing these patterns just to reinforce. It required being really firm with myself, yet compassionate, not angry, not have the firmness come out of anger or self-hatred, but with compassion. Firm, but with compassion. Just like a healthy parent talking to a child, talking with firmness and with discipline, but also with compassion and love for the situation. So it's also learning to to be kind, but kindness with discipline, kindness with firmness. The fourth one that I reflected on was staying in touch with my vulnerability, really feeling how tender and fragile I was feeling and not thinking that this shouldn't be there. But in fact, we're all such fragile beings. I mean, we're so fragile, really. And yet we're also very strong. But that strength doesn't deny our fragility and our vulnerability. And I found that it actually was very beautiful and very tender to feel that vulnerability and not deny it, not be afraid of it. The problem is that vulnerability, when we carry it with us in our daily lives, in relationship and in our our outward situations, is that it can appear as weakness. And it can reinforce that idea that this is where my classes that that I'm feeling small, that I'm not a very worthy person. It can reinforce those feelings of unworthiness because I want to appear like I've got it together and I'm strong and I'm in control. And if I bring my vulnerability and I'm not not in touch with what I'm doing, I'm not conscious with my, my intention to bring that vulnerability, it can, it can undermine my very sense of myself. I could say, oh, I'm, I'm just being weak, I'm just unworthy, I'm just small. But vulnerability can be held in a very beautiful way. When we, when we expose our sensitivity and our fragility and and I think I think what we'd find is that then people would respond to us in a different way 
It actually, when, when I'm with somebody who's exposing vulnerability, I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to want to bring hatred or anger to the situation. It immediately touches my heart. It immediately moves my heart. So it's helpful for me to reflect on how I feel when I'm with somebody who's exposing their vulnerability. Because then it makes it easier for me to do the same. And the last one is something that Joseph was pointing out to me. And that was to be watchful of self-referencing. And what this means is, it reminded me of something I heard long ago from Zen Master Sansanim when I was doing a session in Berkeley. And he was talking about checking. His word was checking. We're always checking, 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 checking. <laughs> seeing, seeing, how am I doing? Is this right? Is that right? Let's see. You know, checking, checking, checking. And how the, the attention is turned back <laughs> on the self. Always measuring, evaluating, seeing how we're doing, how we're doing. Where am I? Is this okay? Is that okay? You know, and it's like... <laughs> It's like this, this continual voice that's keeping everything in check, keep it, keeping everything's mo- everything monitored, everything's in control. You know? But what it, it's a continual reference back to the self. I, 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 I. You know, everything's for me. Everything that's happening is for how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when this particular pattern is watched because then you can see that it's actually not very necessary at all. It's just another way of sort of holding ourselves up because we're afraid of being too vulnerable or out of control or helpless. So also this watching of this self-referencing or this checking. I remember, I remember so well when he's a kind of a fat, looks just like what you'd imagine a Zen master to look like, you know, round face and black robes and has a stick. <laughs> and he's talking about how we're just checking all the time. And I remember, yes, how accurate that was. Wow how the mind keeps turning back on itself, keeping everything in control. Certainly that's appropriate at times. You know, we need to get a sense of how things are going. But my feeling is that it may be a bit of a habit, (laughs) an unnecessary habit that may be able to be watched and not checked. (laughs) So I'd like to throw out a question to you. The question of what have you given yourself today? 
how have you been loving towards yourself or kind towards yourself? And I partly propose this because people tell me in interviews, they tell me wonderful things. (laughs) And I often think, oh, how it would be so terrific if the whole group could hear what people say about the positive and wholesome ways that that you're working with yourself. Because each person has their own unique ways that you apply to your own situation, to your own particular sense of limitation. And so I'd like to open it up so some of that can be shared this evening. And the format that I have for this is that anybody who would like can just speak. Mm-hmm. And as much as possible to speak very much from the I, from your personal experience, not generalizing, not talking about somebody else's experience, but really talking very immediately and personally about your own experience. And it's not a time to respond to what anybody says, but only a time for listening. Just a time for listening. And I may or may not reflect back to the person what they had said, but it'd be very much held in the silence. Just so if somebody would like to say something, they can speak. And then when the person's finished, we sense the silence, and then another person speaks. And we have 20 minutes or so So what have you given yourself today? How have you held yourself with love? Mm 